Welcome to Movie Muse episode 15, a special edition where we celebrate the 40th anniversary of the release of one of the most beloved films of all time, Star Wars. This also marks the beginning of a change of format for our podcasts. Due to the busy lives we all lead, it's becoming more difficult to get time to record longer episodes, so instead we will now be doing shorter episodes more often, hopefully, with a mixture of our usual topics such as film club and original soundtrack, along with new topics that each host will come up with as they see fit. So welcome to the very first Movie Muse Bite Size podcast. I'm your host, Matt Corn, and with me are Gordon Sinclair. Hello. And Simon Burton. Hello. Okay, so as I mentioned, this episode is all about Star Wars, and we'll get on to our main topic, which is the original 1977 Star Wars film, soon enough. But before we talk about the first Star Wars film, it won't have escaped most listeners' attention that the first trailer for the next Star Wars film was released last month. Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi will continue the main saga story with old favourites like Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia and Chewbacca, and the new ones introduced in The Force Awakens, such as Finn, Rey and BB-8. It's directed by Ryan Johnson and due for release in December, so let's check out that trailer. Simon, what did you think of the first trailer for The Last Jedi? Well, let's be honest about it. It's Star Wars. You pretty much know the format. Epic space battles, struggle between good and evil, planets, cool spacecraft, Millennium Falcon, Force, etc. Everyone knows the routine. If you don't get it by now, you never will, to be honest. The trailer doesn't give too much away. It looks like it could be the final stand of the Jedi or the Empire. It'll always be the Empire to me, not the New Order. Finally be vanquished, or will they actually win for good and surprise us all? Who knows? But one thing I do know, I'll be at the head of the queue to find out. It's a continuing saga. It's Star Wars. I blimmin' love it, and always will, so can't wait for it. Doesn't look too bad. No, as you say, it didn't give a lot away. Gordon, what did you think about it? Well, I think first I'd echo Simon's view that it's Star Wars, and I'll be there on opening night making sure that I've got a big popcorn and a super soaker or whatever the big drinks are called. But that doesn't mean he enjoyed the trailer. And the first thing I think I should get off my chest is I don't like the name. The Last Jedi just sounds a bit rubbish, to be honest. I don't know why, because I like the concept of it. 
but I'm probably less keen on the trailer because it starts off and I thought I was watching a trailer for the new Jurassic World film or Pirates of the Caribbean or something. It just wasn't Star Wars, the start of the trailer. I loved in the previous Star Wars films when they've gone into more real world kind of locations, but I didn't like it in this trailer. And I think it's because they put it up front and center right from the start and it kind of lost a bit of the Star Wars feel. And I found the whole trailer lacked excitement. It didn't really do anything for me to get my heart racing. There's a bit reminiscent of the pod race scene, seen it before. There was nothing new there. There was nothing to grab me. I thought the music was poor. And one of the best things about Rogue One was the music in the trailer. So I think they missed a trick with the music they've used in this one. And probably worst of all, I really didn't like the way it's been edited. There's lots of fade in, jump out kind of sequences. And it just felt like a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. And I've loved both of the more recent Star Wars films. And I've let them off with them being very much rehashes or following all the fan stuff and making sure that they're ticking all the boxes for the fans. But this one just didn't do anything for me. I'll still be there first night. I'll still really hope that I love the film, but the trailer gets three out of ten for me. Some of your points are quite interesting because I agree with some of them, but I couldn't disagree more with a couple of them. Firstly, I thought the intro fading at the beginning was really clever, the way it kind of started off looking like a star field. Then it seemed like it was a planet with a star field in the background, and it just turned out to be some rocks. I thought it was really clever. And there were some interesting new ships in there, the ones with the red smoke, which seemed to be heading into a battle with some Atat-style vehicles, if you look closely, which doesn't really dispel the thoughts that this might rehash some bits of the Empire Strikes Back, which I know a lot of people are concerned about, having been disappointed with the fact that The Force Awakens was very similar to a new hope it'll remain to be seen whether that's the case it does look to have a space battle of similar scale to return of the jedi which is arguably the best space battle in the saga so far so that was good the most intriguing part for me was this book that you see them looking at don't know what it is it obviously seems to have something to do with the jedi and there's this book that's been referred to in several novelizations of films called the journal of the wills which maybe that's got something to do with that or maybe it hasn't i don't know that's just what i thought about when i saw it but the thing i disagree with you the most about was the music because i thought it was brilliant where they've blended themes together so there's a blending of the force theme from the original saga and ray's theme and then a bit of the theme for kylo ren as well i thought they were really good just really cleverly done so i'm surprised that you didn't like those that was the most spine tingling bit of the whole trailer for me i totally agree that the editing wasn't great and all it really was was a bunch of random short clips thrown together which is much like what the first teaser for the force awakens was like as well that's what most teasers are and i think if you gave too much away then people would be complaining about that as well but the other thing that i was really pleased with was as you know we discussed it on previous shows i was disappointed with the characters in rogue one and it was just really good to see the characters that i cared about the new characters and the old characters from star wars and the force awakens just great to see them back again and i can't wait to see them in action so like you guys i'm a massive star wars fan i'll be there on opening night and i'm not going to make the same mistake i made with rogue one i'm going to go and see it at midnight this time so that no one else's opinion can affect my opinion of it so just before we move on you've already mentioned what you thought of it gordon the title the last jedi simon what do you think of the title and who do you think the last jedi is I think The Last Jedi will still be Luke, probably, even after all what happens. I think the title's all right, to be honest. It makes sense. It seems to be the Jedi are going to have a lot of the influence in this and finding Luke and everything else is going to be based on that. So I think Jedi has to be there somewhere. So I think it's all right. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. What is it about it that you don't like, Gordon, particularly? I think one of the things I don't like about the name is I think they've been clever with it. And they've said The Last Jedi and not 
the end of the Jedi. And I think I'm not keen on them tricking us that way. But they might not be tricking us. It might just be my opinion of what they're trying to do with the name. Initially, I didn't like it because of how it actually tripped off the tongue, The Last Jedi. And I counted up the syllables in it and realized that some of the others have got exactly the same number. So I don't understand why this one is particularly offensive to me. But as soon as I heard it, I thought, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way a bit about it. I certainly did when it first came out. It's not particularly exciting sounding. You know, The Empire Strikes Back is very dramatic sounding. The Force Awakens is obviously intriguing. And The Last Jedi is just a bit like, it's about a thing rather than about a bigger story. I mean, it doesn't really matter what they call it. Everyone's going to go and see it anyway. And the meaning of it will no doubt become clear. And it could be worse. It could be Attack of the Clones. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point because almost all of them have got these uplifting... or mysterious kind of titles it's a new hope it's a rising it's the return of something and you know it evokes something bigger apart from attack of the clones which is just an odd name i think they've all had really good names but last jedi that evokes something smaller to me Yeah, I'd agree with that. It didn't inspire me when it first came out. I've got used to it. It's a bit intriguing why they're using a red Star Wars logo instead of a yellow one as well. I just think that's probably a marketing thing. And when the big Star Wars appears on the screen at the beginning of the film, I'm sure it'll be yellow like all the others. But it seems to suggest something sinister maybe with it being red instead of yellow. But who knows? Okay, now we move on to our main topic, which is all about the original Star Wars. For our thoughts on the franchise in general, you can check out episode 2 of our podcast, which focused on the good and bad elements of the films. And you can also hear our opinions on The Force Awakens and Rogue One in episodes 3 and 12, respectively. You can head to YouTube or iTunes to listen to those. Or you can also head over to moviemuse.net to read reviews of both the recent films, plus our box set reviews of the original and prequel trilogies. So, 40 years ago, in a city fairly far away, Star Wars was premiered at Man's Chinese Theatre and a mere 40 or so other cinemas across the USA. After that inauspicious start, its popularity grew and grew until it became the highest grossing film of all time in its day and spawned a multimedia franchise that continues to make billions of dollars to this day under the ownership of Disney. It also revolutionised filmmaking in several ways and set the benchmark for blockbuster special effects movies. I think we can skip the plot of the film. If you don't know by now, then probably best to switch this podcast off. So let's celebrate the 40th anniversary of one of our favourite films by picking our top 10 scenes from Star Wars. These were chosen by the team who started by each coming up with a short list of favourite scenes. From there, we found one scene that was in all our lists and that became our number one. And the remaining nine scenes are split between the team as we each give three of our favourites. We will, of course, be showing these scenes on our YouTube video, and we've pulled the footage from the original 1977 theatrical release of the film. So the quality may only be glorious standard definition, but there's no CGI dewbacks, no enhanced explosions, no huge fleets of X-Wings, and definitely no Greedo shooting first, just as it should be. Scenes that didn't make the cut include... Luke Skywalker gazing at Tatooine's twin sunset as he yearns for a life of adventure and excitement... Darth Vader finding an Imperial officer's lack of faith disturbing and showing the power of the dark side. Grand Moff Tarkin demonstrating the full power of the Death Star as it destroys Princess Leia's home planet of Alderaan. And a clumsy stormtrooper banging his head on the door of the Death Star control room. But here are the 10 scenes that did as we go round the team for their favourites. And let's kick things off with Gordon. Well, for the first of our 10 best scenes, we had to go for the opening scene. After the revolutionary crawl that we've all grown to love from all of the Star Wars films, 
The crawl disappears off it into the star field and we see a rebel blockade runner hurtling through space and hot on its heels is an empirical star destroyer. And the blockade runner initially looks huge, it looks massive, but then when we see the destroyer we really get to see what huge means. So it's really it's bigger than you can really contemplate. If you try and explain that scene to somebody it's hard to get that across and I think the best way I can describe it is it's like a human foot and an ant. It's just absolutely unbelievable, the scale. And I think that's the main point of this scene is using a look and feel of Kubrick's 2001. It just sets scale. And it's not just the scale of the scene, but of the whole movie. It demonstrates so simply, but so dramatically, the size of the mountain that the rebels have got to climb in the battle against the Empire. And I think it's one of the most wonderful starts to a film that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's an amazing opening. As you say, it shows you exactly what Star Wars is all about right from the off. Epic, expansive scenes, exotic planets and technology, space battles, and of course the great music. And as you just mentioned in 2001, big spaceships have been seen on screen before, but not in any kind of action. In that film, they're just kind of floating along in space. And in this one, you've got this massive spaceship being chased by this absolutely humongous spaceship. There really was nothing like it up to that point. It would have been a completely unbelievable sight to behold in the very first moment of the film really setting the tone for it. It is amazing to see the ship coming along and then, as you say, the Star Destroyer comes up behind it and just overtakes it and then sucks it inside its belly. So you can see the scale of it and it does set the scene for the film. When you first watch it, it's pretty excellent. So, yeah, a great start to the story. Okay, so I'm going to go next with one of my picks and my pick occurs fairly soon after that opening scene. Having escaped the blockade runner with the Death Star plans, R2-D2 and C-3PO's escape pod crash lands in the harsh desert of Tatooine and the two droids bicker about their destination. How did we get into this mess? I really don't know how. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. I've got to rest before I fall apart. My joints are almost frozen. The reason I really like this scene, well, R2-D2 is my favourite character and he really wouldn't be quite what he is without C-3PO. These two characters are already introduced in the early scenes of the film, but this one really sets up their relationship for the whole saga, with C-3PO the kind of whinging herald of woe, and R2-D2 being all stubborn and obnoxious and making gratuitous noises at him, and they have the arguments and obviously trudge off in different directions. Don't get technical with me. What mission? What are you talking about? I've just about had enough of you. Go that way. You'll be malfunctioning within a day, you nearsighted scrap pile. And don't let me catch you following me, begging for help. And much of the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film is really about these two characters, which I think at the time was an incredibly brave move by George Lucas, especially as one of the two characters doesn't even talk. And the audience would have never seen anything like this before and could have easily been alienated almost immediately at the start of the film. But luckily, the two characters have loads of personality and you get sort of engrossed in what they're up to and where they're going, all that kind of thing, right from the start and what part they're going to play in the film. So two of my favourite characters and that moment of them just bickering in the desert is obviously Obviously one of my earliest memories of watching Star Wars. Yeah, I agree. They're two strong characters in at the start. So two robots are obviously quite new to film making in those days. It was not something we would have seen much in films up until that point. And to have them as main characters and behaving, as you say, one doesn't speak makes it much more interesting. Anthony Daniels very cancelled and robot is a good foil for R2 D2 and I think it works really well and it does sort of set a tone throughout the rest of the series, their relationship and how they behave throughout the rest of the film to each other. So yeah it was really good. 
I think it's a wonderful scene that I think George Lucas said that the tale it's R2-D2 and C-3PO's story more than it is Luke Skywalker's story and I think it's really telling about the quality of the filmmaking and the storytelling that the two most human believable and relatable characters in the whole of the galaxy are two androids those two characters are two of the greatest characters in movie history and that scene where they're just being people is fantastic and i love the humanity that he's put into these droids and i would definitely put that right near the top of my best scenes of all star wars not just of a new hope so yeah great choice that one it's also interesting if you look at the concept art that ralph mcquarrie did for the film that scene was there right from the start there was never any doubt in george lucas's mind that these two characters were going to be right in the film right from the beginning you know george lucas gave some ideas to ralph mcquarrie and he drew those images you see the drawing of it and c3po looks a little bit different but he captures exactly in that image what ultimately ends up in the film so i think that's a really nice thing to show that the story always had these characters in it right from the start it wasn't that they were added just to move the story along so i've had a pick gordon's had a pick so we must go to simon now for the next choice thanks gents my first choice is the scene on tatooine where obi-wan luke and the droids enter the biggest hive of scum and villainy mass Eisley spaceport you will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy the preceding scene is Ben telling Luke we need to get to Alderaan and we need to find a star pilot to take us there. Mos Eisley's spaceport is a likely place to find a star pilot. When they enter the city, they get stopped by a group of stormtroopers and are interrogated. Luke thinks the game's up before it's even started, but Ben, with just a mere flick of his hand, influences the lead trooper to change his thoughts to whatever he wants him to say. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. And eventually they end up being okay and may go about their business. What I like about the scene is it shows what Mosaicy's like at the start. I know we're not talking about the enhanced films. They added more creatures in, but you still see city life, lots of creatures walking about, speeders and all kinds of life going on, which shows you what it's like in an alien world. But the other thing I like about it is the moment of tension when you do not know which way this meeting is going to go when you first see it. There's intrigue. You wonder why is the Stormtrooper suddenly now agreeing with what Ben is saying? And it's most apparent, obviously, on first that their ways of the Force are very unknown. And this is where the Force is first really shown, which is obviously the thing that flows throughout every film and is the all-encompassing thing throughout the whole of Star Wars. This is its first showing in a film, in a very small scene, just some stormtroopers trying to interrogate, yeah, these aren't the droids you're looking for. He can go about his business and it just influences, gets them out of a tight situation and the story can carry on. And so I think it's a very poignant scene. Yeah, as you say, it is the introduction of the wielding of the Force. And I think the Darth Vader scene where he Force chokes the Imperial officer occurs either just before or just after this. I can't remember exactly where in the timeline of the film it does. So you see both sides of the Force in action within a sort of 10-minute period, which I think is a really interesting point of view of both sides of the Force. 
yeah, a completely iconic scene that's been turned into a million memes in the last few years. But what I love about that scene is that it gave birth to the scene in the prequel trilogy with Watto when Qui-Gon tries to use the Jedi mind trick on Watto and he just ridicules him. What do you think you're doing? You know, Jedi it mind trick. You think you're some sort of Jedi? <laughs> yeah. So I love that the filmmakers realised that it was such an iconic scene and played homage to it later on in the series. Or earlier in the series, if you're going through the timeline that way. Indeed. Well, Gordon, shall we go back to you for the next pick then? Yeah, and this one happens almost immediately after that scene. And if you can picture the scene, an old man, a kid, and the two pet droids walk into a bar. It's got the making of a pretty good joke, I think, until you realise that that bar is, as Simon mentioned, the most wretched hive of scum and villainy in all the galaxy. And it doesn't go particularly well, this visit to the bar. The droids are banished. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. Luke gets threatened by someone who's had the death sentence on 12 different systems and Obi-Wan ends up having to chop someone's arm off. But we do meet Chewbacca and obviously Han Solo before his famous encounter with Greedo. And if you add to that the myriad of creatures that give us a real flavour of just how vast and diverse the Star Wars universe is, and on top of that you've got the catchiest tune in all the known galaxy, it makes the Tatooine cantina scene one of the most memorable scenes in the whole film. And I can't think of a piece of music that isn't the main score in any film that's got the same impact as the cantina band, who most people like us know, but most people unlike us don't realise the band are called Figrin Dan and the Mobile Nodes. That scene is amazing. I love the cantina. It's just the variety of different creatures and the stories that came out of that. I've read the novel about the tales from the cantina and it is amazing when you see it in film first and then you read the novel. I know the fiction was obviously built a lot after the films but it's amazing that they've made absolutely amazing stories and the whole fabric of something else just from that scene walking through the cantina and all the creatures in there. Figuring Garn, excellent. There's a whole thing about him, that the gambler, things and all kinds of stuff. There's just so much stuff from the cantina. And it is a classic bar. Like anywhere in the world, you walk into a bar somewhere where you're not known and you're going to end up in trouble. And I think it's just a really amazing scene and it's very iconic. Yeah, I've read that book as well, A Tale from the Moss Eisley Cantina, and it just shows what the Star Wars universe is like, where they'll take this largely innocuous bunch of characters who you only see on the screen for a matter of seconds, and they make a book based on all their characters' backstories. They've all got an action figure as well, you know, they've all got names which were made up after the fact they didn't have those names in the film. What I like about it is, I think Star Wars has been lightened in ways to a Western, and this scene more than any shows the kind of Wild West environment that the outer rim areas of the galaxy had you know you walk into this cantina and you've got smugglers and gangsters and people on the run from the empire and all that kind of stuff in there there's just so much character and personality in these basically people in rubber suits that are on screen for a matter of seconds it's just incredibly well done and you get to see the jedi having already shown his mind tricks also wielding a lightsaber for the first time in anger rather than just luke waving it about and I would like to point out, I even like the modal nose, the slow dance after the second song. I even like that one, not just the first lively number. Okay, we? Simon, shall we go back to you for the next scene in our list? Okie dokie. My next choice is the scene when the Millennium Falcon, they blasted out of Mos Eisley after the canteen and all the bits and pieces, they got away. They hired a space to Alderaan where they were going to hopefully deliver the plans for the Death Star to the Rebel Alliance. So when they came out of hyperspace, they came out into an asteroid field that they said was not unmarked in any charts. Once you know to them, it was the remains of Alderaan that the Death Star had blown to smithereens about an hour earlier. So they suddenly get a very small 
couple of shots fired at them by a lone TIE fighter and obviously they realise the danger of him reporting their appearance to the Empire so they give chase. They think it's strange that a lone fighter is this far into deep space and they notice he's heading to a small moon and Han says that he won't be around long enough to make it when Ben issues a classic line. That's no moon. It's a space station. It's too big to be a space station. And the rest, as they say, is history. The thing about this scene is that it sort of changes the course of everything. They go in there thinking they're going to a planet to deliver some plans and it's going to be straightforward. No, they turn up at what's remains of the planet and end up being pulled into the Death Star. It's just their destiny's changed in a matter of one scene. They end up in the bosom of the enemy and they thought they were just going to a friendly planet to deliver some plans. They just end up exactly where they didn't want to be. But it means the story can continue in the vein that it does and all the best for it. Yeah, it's another great scene, obviously another classic line from Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. I think, aside from the impact on the plot that you've just been talking about, it's also a really good special effects shot because it's almost pure special effects. The only non-effect stuff is the guy sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. You've got, you know, the Millennium Falcon chasing the TIE fighter. You've got the star field, you've got the asteroids, the remains of Alderaan, and then you've got them being pulled in the tractor beam into the Death Star as well, which has got multiple composite shots of the Death Star background the ship being pulled into the Death Star guys walking around in the foreground as well so it's really an amazing bit of special effects work from a period where that sort of thing again would never have been seen so great scene all around really It's another scene that is really based on scale and shows you the vastness of Star Wars and I think George Lucas certainly in the 70s and 80s was a visionary and he came up with some fantastic ideas early on such as telling us it was episode four. What a masterstroke that was. Starting it in the middle and giving himself so much scope for more. But I think the way he sets the scale of the whole Star Wars universe is just amazing. You think you're looking at a moon, but actually it's a space station the size of a moon. There's a lot of scenes like that in the whole of Star Wars where you think something is big and then you see it next to something that's bigger. I just love that sense of scale that Lucas put into A New Hope especially. Okay, thanks guys. We're at the halfway point, so let's move into the second five of our favourite scenes. And I'm going to pick the next one. And the one I've chosen takes place on board the Death Star, as much of the next 40 minutes or so the film does. On board the Death Star, Obi-Wan heads off to disable the tractor beam and R2-D2 discovers that Princess Leia is held captive. So Luke hatches a dubious plan to rescue her as he and Han, disguised as stormtroopers, take Chewbacca to the detention block as a seeming prisoner. This is not gonna work. Why didn't you say so before? I did say so before. This is definitely one of my favourite scenes in the film. It typifies some of the recurring themes of the Star Wars films, including the reckless plans made by the Rebels, Imperial soldiers being completely unable to shoot straight even at point-blank range, and the funny lines spoken by the main characters. And I think of all the scenes in all the films, Harrison Ford, this is one of his best. He's absolutely brilliant. With a seemingly, don't know if it was, but seemingly improvised conversation with the Imperial officer over the radio, which ends up with him saying it's a boring conversation anyway. This is definitely the funniest moment moment of the first film for me and is then followed up with the famous little short for a stormtrooper line from princess leia as well showing that even though she's facing imminent death she's still quite cocky and confident you can see some of the limitations of the filmmaking at times here because i'm pretty sure the same security camera gets shot about six times during this scene so that's quite amusing to watch in retrospect and this is also one of the early examples of an easter egg within a film because it mentions cell block 1138 which is a reference to lucas's earlier film th 
HX1138, so I quite like that as well. But I do love that conversation when he's like, yeah, everything normal, situation normal. Then he goes, how are you? And the look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> he just looks like, oh my God, have I just said that? <laughs> yeah, that extremely funny. I love it. Great scene. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, hit a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, conversation anyway. Well, let's move on to the next scene then, Simon. Let's go back to you. Right, following on directly from the rescuing of Prince Leia from the actual prison cell. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. My choice is a trash compactor scene. They're getting bogged down. There's only one exit out of the prison deck. They're not getting anywhere. They're starting to argue amongst themselves. Leia blows a hole in the wall, and just by luck, they end up dropping down into a garbage room. What I like about the scene is the interaction and the tension between the characters of this scene. Starting with the great line from Han, the minute he falls down in there, he turns to Princess Leia and goes, What an incredible smell you've discovered! <laughs> then he gets annoyed and shoots the blaster at it, and then because it's magnificently sealed, it flies around and she loses her rag with him. But straight away, you can see there's a little bit of chemistry between her and Han, and I love the way he calls her your worshipfulness and his other sarky names. The creature suddenly appears in the water, you see something moving and you don't know, you're not sure. I don't understand why there's a creature such as that living in a brand new Death Star. I just don't think their housekeeping is a bit poor there, but unless it eats the garbage and it's deliberately placed in there, I don't know. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it grabs Luke and pulls him under the water. And then the creature stops and disappears. Even though you see, you think, oh great, Luke's okay. They get him up, but you suddenly, why is it suddenly gone? And then out of nowhere, suddenly the walls just literally start moving in. But they survive it. The thing about this scene is they show us the interaction between Leia and Han, you see. So soon after they've met, the tone of their dialogue, their interest or their love maybe, literally starts in a heap of rubbish. They do say first impressions count. And we all know how the story goes on from this point, but this is their first real interaction together. So this is where it all started. Yeah, good point. What I like about it is I think we know that George Lucas, you know, a lot of his ideas came from these sort of Saturday morning serials, Flash Gordon and all those kind of things. And this scene is quite reminiscent of those kind of films where the characters are in peril, but you know really they're not going to get crushed because every time it cuts back to them, they look like they're about to get crushed, but the walls never actually squish any further. They kind of slow down. It's exciting, but you know realistically they're not going to get squished at that point. And I also like that C-3PO thinks that they haven't managed to save them in time because they're all whooping and wailing because they've just been saved and he thinks they're dying so he's like curse my metal body I wasn't fast enough and all this kind of thing but yeah you do raise a good point why was there so much rubbish in the Death Star when it was brand new well building sites often do have a lot of rubbish and maybe it's just not been got rid of since it was finished true i take issue with what you've just said there about no real peril because i actually think that certainly in a new hope the only truly scary scene is that one and that scene used to absolutely terrify me when i was younger i remember seeing it for the first time in the cinema in i think it was 78 when i saw it in the cinema 
I know I was only six at the time, but I certainly didn't think that everything's going to be okay. I was quite traumatised. And I think there's not many scenes in the whole of the Star Wars series where it's actual real danger. And that felt that that was real danger, that one. And that's why that sticks with me. It's not a scene I would say I like, because when I watch it now, I go back to how I felt when I first watched it. And it's still the only scene that actually gets my heart pumping in a dread sense rather than in an excitement sense. Yeah, to be fair, when I was a kid, it probably was more scary. And I think the first half of the scene with the trash compactor monster sucking Luke under the water, mm. you definitely feel that he's been under there for ages, he's going to drown. Yeah. But I just think when the walls are moving in, really, it's like, say, that classic sort of 30s and 40s action movie thing where they move in a bit, and then when you go back to the scene, they're actually further out than they were before and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think I ever felt that they were going to get squashed at that point. But it might have been a bit more scary when I was a kid. Let's move on to scene number eight. Gordon. Okay, the scene that I've chosen for number eight is one of the truly important scenes in the whole of the film, and it's the lightsaber battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. And Lucas obviously took massive inspiration from Tolkien with the death and rebirth of Gandalf reimagined with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he used the battles between the former master and apprentice to introduce us to quite a few things. Firstly was the lightsaber duel. It was the first time we saw two lightsabers go to battle together and the sound of them clashing against each other is a sound that I'm sure we'll all remember until the day we die. But by current standards, that lightsaber duel is actually pretty poor. If you compare it to a later battle like the iconic scene with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fighting against Darth Maul, it's quite laughable having these two old men carrying out what's a really, really basic sword fight but the way it was filmed, and mostly I go back to the sound that was used in this scene, just made it such a special thing to see. The scene also set the dynamic for the Jedi-Sith showdown, which we see in every film as well. And it also introduced us to the concept of the Force Ghost, when Obi-Wan spoke his immortal line, If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. But one of the most important things that this scene did was to put Luke at the front of the story. Killing off Obi-Wan meant that Luke was no longer a passenger. The handholding from his new mentor ended. Whilst he was still there in the back of his mind, you know, like the angel on his shoulder, Luke now had to step up. He had to be the hero. The hero that Han Solo could never be. You know, Han is a heroic character, but he'll never be the hero. Luke had to be that. And it was from that strike where Darth Vader hit Obi-Wan, the cloak falls to the floor. From that moment on, this is Luke taking over. And I think that's such an important piece of the story that that scene will always be remembered. I like the way that Obi-Wan is fighting Darth Vader. He's holding his own quite well, not bad for an older guy. And then he just sees the guys getting into the ship and he says, right, my work here done. And just puts his sabre up and allows Darth to strike him down. And it's just at the start of him being the enigma that he is. And I think it's really poignant and a really good scene. I find it quite amusing that he just wants to double check that he definitely has got rid of Obi-Wan. He actually goes over and treads on his cloak on the floor just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That is good. Great scene. And there's a lot of meaning. Yeah, obviously more 
so now having done the prequels as the whole story of how the first duel between them turned out as well although let's not talk about the prequels too much in this and spoil the really good stuff okay so let's move on to the next scene and it's back to me and having escaped from the death star the millennium falcon heads towards the rebel base but is pursued by a small squadron of tie fighters and so han and luke take their positions in the gunnery seats of the millennium falcon to fight off their attackers what I like about this scene, firstly it gets straight back into some action after the sombre sort of moment in the Millennium Falcon where Luke's saying he can't believe Obi-Wan's died. But this is the first proper space battle of the whole Star Wars saga. Obviously you had the ships briefly dallying with one another at various other points during the film, but this is an actual battle between goodies and baddies in space. It's fairly brief, but it is an exciting taster of what's to come later with the main space battle of the film. It's another great special effects sequence with the different ships interacting, lots of lasers and the great sets of the two gunnery chairs with all the computer readouts and stuff which you don't really see again at all in the whole of the Star Wars saga until we saw them in The Force Awakens and just an amazing technical achievement for the time for the soon to be called Industrial Light and Magic and it's also got a decent bit of music from John Williams and some more fun moments between the characters with Han Solo saying to Luke and the droids C-3PO ends up all covered in wires and saying I think I'm melting or something like that so it's just a nice exciting scene just a prelude to what's coming up at the end of the film really yeah i like the authenticity of the dogfights. you know it's been written that the special effects makers did some research by watching world war ii fighter pilots and watching the way they would dive in and out of the fight and how they would maneuver to get the shot so there's an authenticity in those battles you know it's hard to imagine how you can make a spaceship authentic but they've used real dynamics and tried to not just put everything in the realms of imagination and i think it shows you believe in those fights so yeah it's an amazing battle and like you say it's the first space battle and it's probably up to that point the greatest space battle that had ever been filmed i can't think of an earlier film that's got a better space battle until the, the end of the film <laughs> okay i'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> but you're right <laughs> So we've chosen three of our favourite scenes each and if you're listening to this you've probably come to the realisation that all those scenes have been in timeline order for how they occurred in the film which should very easily lead you to work out what our 10th and favourite scene of all time from the original Star Wars is. It is of course the thrilling finale of the film where the rebels attack the Death Star with the intention of targeting a small thermal exhaust port at the end of a long trench on the battle station's surface. Following a dogfight with TIE fighters above the Death Star and a failed attempt to hit the exhaust port by Red Leader, Luke leads a second attempt in his X-Wing fighter along with Biggs and Wedge, pursued by Darth Vader and his wingmen. Once again, this is just a fantastic piece of work by the special effects people combining multiple effects to create a sequence that, despite its outlandishness, and this goes back to what you were just saying, Gordon, it just seems completely realistic to be flying over this massive space station, diving down this trench and avoiding all these guns and all that kind of stuff. There's no point at which you really sit back and think, that's just ridiculous, that is. You do feel like that could be happening somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. So to have witnessed that in the cinema in 1977 must have been just absolutely jaw-dropping and unfortunately I never had the chance to do that because I'm too young. 
There's some great moments for several characters. Obviously, Luke takes his first steps on the road to becoming a Jedi by using the Force to direct the proton torpedoes into the exhaust port. Vader realises Luke is no ordinary foe. Han Solo proves he wasn't just in it for the money after all. And even though you probably know in your heart that the Rebels are going to win, the tension is still maintained with the Death Star literally on the verge of destroying the Rebel base. You know, they're powering up the laser beam just as the proton torpedoes reach their target and obviously the Death Star gets blown away. So yeah, just undoubtedly one of the best, if not the best, scene in the whole film. When you first watched it, you didn't know what was going to happen. You had the tension of the Death Star coming up to the planet, and they obviously knew where the Rebel base was, and they sent the fighters out to attack. And I still love that bit. Erafar's in attack position, and all wings check in. It's like Red Leader, Red Fighter, they love all that stuff. And you'd think, how are these few fighters going to attack that massive thing? But he's so right. That thing's so big, they can get in, get through to it, and get down to a low-level attack. So they're not going to do a lot of damage just hitting the surface of it, but they had their plan, and they knew what they needed to do. And it had to be looped to do it, and it's just an amazing climax to the story. I just cannot begin to say how I mean, iconic this is, the Death Star, the trench run. You couldn't get a more fitting end to a film at the time. Absolutely amazing. I think for me what I love about it is it's really technical so you've got all of these super spaceships I mean for a start X-Wings are just such an amazing looking craft I don't know if this was something that Lucas suggested to Ralph or whether he came up with the idea or he imagined the X-Wing fighter but it's just such a beautiful craft it's like the future biplane it's just so clever so to see those flying down the trench and everything just looks so futuristic and beautiful and technological and really advanced but what beats it is faith so it brings it back to the force it brings it back to something that isn't electric something that's you know natural and i really like that and that bit where luke hears the force ghost of obi-wan saying use the force luke and he turns off his monitor i think that is just an absolutely stunning scene and even though i know exactly what's going to happen every time when i'm watching that i get goosebumps it's one of the greatest ends to any film ever I just love Tarkin's down below and he says, Sir, we've analysed their attack and there is a danger. Shall I have your ship standing by? And I love it when he just turns around with arrogance and says, In our moment of triumph, I think you overestimate their chances. Well, sorry, mate, you underestimated their chances and that's what happens. So it just shows that even though the rebels are few and the Empire are many, it just shows the few can overcome the many. The other thing I really like about this scene is it became the basis for one of my favourite video games of all time, the Atari Vector Arcade game, which perfectly captures the feeling of taking on the Empire and destroying the Death Star. Yeah, one thing I did find is that, Matt, you know, in the first arcade game, you've got those bridges going across the trench, and you've got to go under and above. They didn't have that in the film. You didn't have to dodge no, those, Luke, did you? the arcade game's harder. Exactly. You, you know about the force bonus in the arcade game as well, I assume, where if you don't shoot while you're flying down the trench until the exhaust port, you get like a 100,000 point bonus or something like that for using the force. Oh. Did you not know that? I do that, yeah. You can only really do it unless you're a good player about the first two or three times. Talk about video games. There was a game on the BBC called Trench, which I played, which was based on that, which is not a great game, but I loved it at the time. And obviously the GameCube at Rogue Squadron, those games were amazing. And that's like you actually being in the film and playing it. It was that good for its time. I also like that they could have easily killed off Darth Vader in that fight as well. Han Solo, instead of knocking the TIE fighter behind him and that knocked Vader out of the trench and sent him spinning, it could have easily been that the Millennium Falcon blew up Darth Vader's TIE fighter and Luke had a clear run on the exhaust port. But Lucas was 
even though he didn't know the film was going to be a success and it was plagued with all these problems he was still thinking about the bigger picture of I've got a bigger story to tell you know so that kind of reckless bravery or reckless confidence really paid off in the end yeah and there was no guarantee that there was ever going to be any more than that one film so you're right that was very brave reckless or brave however you want to put it but you know we've all kind of soured towards lucas as the years have gone on but back then you know he was a force great shot kid that was one in a million remember the force will be with you always and on that note i think that's the perfect point to leave our top 10 scenes from the original star wars may the 40th be with you hey So that concludes this episode of the Movie Muse podcast. Our next episode will be the latest instalment of our long-running film club. And this time around, the choice is mine. After some deliberation and a vote from my colleagues, the chosen film is Last Passenger, a 2013 British independent film directed by Omid Nushin, starring Dougray Scott as one of a small group of passengers on a late-night train whose driver is on a non-stop journey with dark intentions. The film is available from Amazon Video for just 99 pence, or on DVD for about the same amount. So if you've seen this film or want to check it out and participate in Film Club, head over to our Facebook or Twitter feeds at MovieMused UK and let us know what you think. That concludes this edition of the podcast, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.